Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh my dear brothers, sisters, friends and foes and welcome to a very, very, very special episode of the Blood Brothers podcast with your host Didi Hussain and my co-host Aki Hussain, assalamu alaikum everyone, it's good to be back, I feel like I'm always saying that yeah, in this you, podcast but Dilly's right this time when he says uh, special, it is indeed uh, the most special podcast uh, we'll probably do and the reason for that is, <clears throat> it's not because of of course, mainly because of today's guest, but it's also because it's our fiftieth episode. It's a milestone episode. It's coming towards the end of the Gregorian year, and we thought it would be very fitting to have today's guest, who is one of the most important people in both mine and Aki's life, and has played uh, a pivotal role um, in raising us, in looking after us, in nurturing us, in instilling within us the values that we now espouse. And that's none other than our dear father, Haji Muhammad Tarumiya. Assalamu alaikum, Dad. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam, sons. Okay. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. I'm fine, thank you. Is this a bit weird for you? No, not really. It's just that we've got cameras around us all. Sure. Always, everything's fine. Alhamdulillah. And uh, do you watch any of our podcasts? I watch every podcast. Podcast. Mm-hmm. I haven't missed any at all. And is there any specific favorite episodes that stand out to you? Any guests? Uh, there are many, but the the one that really touched me was the one uh, you did with Roshan. This uh, the summary at the end of the uh, okay. So Roshan, so the one I did with Roshan. Yeah, that was that was very good. Okay. Yeah, alhamdulillah. You had all the guests in there, <coughs> and <coughs> it was very nice. That's good. Um, today's podcast is going to be very different because usually what me and Zuel do, and by the way, guys, today I'm not referring to Aki as Aki. He's going to be referred to as Zui, which is his. Home nickname Yeah and besides the intro of me Calling uh, my brother by his name Baya is Baya Which yeah. translates to For those who don't know Brother Yeah So today is Zui by And we'll interchange between dad and Abba um, So today's conversation Is what it is um, Usually when me and Zui have guests on We probe We interview But today we want to speak to our dad on camera mm. And, um, and I know there's lots to discuss and lots to cover. Um, let us start with your journey to the UK. Right? What year did you arrive in the UK? I came to England in August 1966. At the age of? Nine. Do you remember the journey? Yes, I do remember the journey. It's, uh, uh, it was a night time when we left home. We travelled by train to Dhaka, and from Dhaka we travelled to Heathrow Airport and PIA Pakistan International Airlines. Oh yeah, but that's because it was Pakistan then, right? Yes, it was East Pakistan then. Okay. Um, so, if I'm correct, Dad, you—that was the last time you saw our biological daddy, right? Yes, that's correct. Yes, and. Um, how was that upon reflection as you were growing up? I missed her a lot mm. uh, because uh, I left home when I was very young. Obviously, you, you need your motherly love, mm. which I missed when I came here. Mm. But Alhamdulillah, we were in, in touch. Mm. Obviously, in those days, no telephones or mobiles. Letters. It was all letters. Yeah. So, we used to get letters from my mom. On a regular basis, uh, it was very comfortable, com- comforting. And 
Did Daddy know that you were coming to the UK? Yes. Okay. She knew. And how did she feel about that? Obviously, any mother would feel you lose your oldest son, mm. leaving home, going away. I was going to handle things mm. without her. But her dua was with me anyway, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, may Allah accept her duas and Ameen. grant a genital for those. Amen. Um, so you arrived in the UK uh, at the age of, you say, nine, right, Dad? Yes. So, so naturally, it must have been a huge culture shock. Do you remember some of your early memories of landing in this country? Yes, I do remember landing at Heathrow Airport in August and coming to Bedford. Well, the first place I came to was Lawrence Street. Just there? Yes, Lawrence yeah. Street, number four. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, owned by a Pakistani family. Obviously, in those days, there weren't many women here in this country. They were mainly single men. And uh, this that's where we lived for a few months. Okay. And uh, it's, it's, it's Obviously, the weather was very dull. So that, that must have been a huge shock as yeah, well. Yeah, because in those days, the winter was, uh, to me, the winter was about nine months. Mm. Wow. That's August we're talking about. Yeah. The winter's dull. Yeah. <laughs> that's the peak of the summer. Yeah. It's dull. And snow... And and obviously you never had any uh, double glazing windows and center heating and mm. these nice rags and carpets. Mm. Was it just plain wooden floor? No, wooden floor with a liner. Okay, okay. And um, was England still celebrating the World, the World Cup victory when you came? Uh, obviously, uh, I, I didn't go into these sort of things. Mm. I was new in this country, I don't know what was going on, but later on I found out when I went to school and all that. Yeah, okay. Now going on to school, obviously you li- you've literally lived through, and those who are still alive at your age and came to England at that young age, they've lived through many eras, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. How was it growing up in the UK, in Bedford during the 70s and 80s, um, specifically to do with race relations? Like, How were you received uh, when you arrived in Be- Bedford growing up as a migrant child? Um, who went to a school with people that English was their first language, right? How how, how was how, how what were your early experiences of race relations and how non Asians, non Bengalis embraced you? First of all, I think I was the first Asian, uh, well, not not first Asian, first uh, Bangladeshi boy in in Bedford. Uh, later on, after the seventies, it started coming in slowly, mm. and. Uh, in those days, when when I went to school, it was just straight into the classes. That's it. Whether you know any English or not, doesn't matter. You're you're there. There weren't any special facilities for people coming over from mm. abroad to learn English. Yeah. Uh, later on, uh, after the seventies, obviously they had places where uh, children who were coming over from Pakistan or India or any other country were uh, had a place where they go learn English. Uh, we had one in Bedford. It was called Portway Centre. Okay. Okay. But good thing is that uh, it was hard for me, but but being thrown straight into that system yeah. Yeah. that helped me to learn English and and uh, very quickly, very quickly mingle with the people, yeah. children and all that. You know, okay. it, was, it was easy and quick yeah. to settle. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, there's a picture which is on the wall there, 
which should be on your screen right now. That's from Mosin. What year? About what year was that? 1968. Uh, so that made you 11. Yes. Round about then, yeah? yeah. And I can see from that picture there's many blacks, many whites, not really any Asians at all besides you and a Sikh guy there. No, there are a few, few there. There's not many. No, there's few. All. There's few. There's what few. was that? Westfield. Yes, Westfield. Westfield. Yeah. Did you face any racism? Yes, I did. Give us some. First, first of all, in those days, there was two tiers. Uh, from junior school, I went straight into Westfield. Mm -hmm. From one tier to two tiers. When I got there, the the, the students, the people who were there, some of them I looked at, and they looked at about twenty twenty-five. I was shocked. <laughs> you know, it's, it's massive. I thought they were all teachers. I said, "There's more teachers here than children." <laughs> then later, I found out, obviously, then. Racism, yes, we did fail a lot of racism. Give uh, some examples. Well, in the classes, on the corridors, na names called. Like, 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 if you don't want me asking, like, what kind of, what, what kind of racist remarks were made? Like, what, what was normal? What was, was oh, the usual uh, slur? Th that things like they would hold their nose like that, and they say, "Oh, you smelly packy, so, so, you wog." Okay, mm. so, so things like that. So, so, packy was a racial slur in the seventies. Uh, yeah, in, in the late 60s and 70s, yes. Okay. And, you know, there was a question I asked you uh, before we started filming, and that was, naturally, through your personal observations and experience, human beings naturally create a league of who they think, as a people, are the nicest, are the most welcoming, have a chip on their shoulder, etc. Um, and I asked you, in order, from your personal experience, disclaimer, this is not... Reflective of entire groups of people It's yeah. just based on my father's personal experience Who did you face racism from the most when you, In those early years in the UK? Italians Italians Yes um, And that would come as a surprise to many mm. Because Italians themselves faced racism in America mm. As an early migrant community They were called things like guineas Yeah, yeah? Uh, And they faced it here as well um, So it's quite sad to hear that so obviously experiencing racism uh, when you first arrived here, naturally that must have led to some altercations or incidents where you may have been in a position where you had to defend yourself or uh, set a particular standard or principle. Uh, did you ever find yourself in those situations? Yes, I did, yeah. Yes. And did you overcome it? Yes, I go into some uh, fights yeah. after school. Yeah. Because first when I went to school... I didn't know what, what Paki mean or Wogs mean. Mm. Then later on I realised what it was. And that's when it hurt me. Yeah. And when it continued, mm. obviously I got into a few fights. Okay. And I think it was a good thing as well because getting into the fight and winning one or two, mm. uh, they knew where I stand. Yeah. I wouldn't take this nonsense. And generally speaking, you had quite an uh, athletic but petite frame, didn't you? Yes. Uh, so were people s surprised by your... Uh, your, uh, the way you were able to handle yourself. Yeah, some of them were. Yeah, some okay. of them were. Okay. Sports did make a lot of difference. Okay. You're probably surprised when they woke up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll get to sports in a bit, but I wanted to ask up actually. You know, yeah. you know when you know when you were in school. Obviously, you said that you came here when you were very young, like eight, nine, and um, it was a completely new world. Going into school with all these different people, white, you know, white community, black community. 
maybe a few Asians, uh, black community, and 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 all this stuff. Did it feel like having to get into sometimes fights and stuff? Did it feel like a quite a lonely place to handle all this stuff, altercations, problems with other kids in your group, and you're doing it on your own at a young age so quickly in a new country? What was it like to have these moments? Uh, it was something that I had no choice but to get into it. I had to stand up for myself. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I started off on my own, but gradually, when I stood up myself, I had other people who joined me. Yeah. Mm. They were facing the same problems, but they needed somebody to lead them, mm-hmm. and they felt that I was the right person to hang around with, Good. Or stand many, up with. Many years later, are these people that you still have relationships with? Yes, I do. Yes, yes, yeah. I do have. Tell us about some many of many of those Italians who I had problem with. Uh, later on, they became my best friends. Nice. They're still around. We still Great. meet. We still talk. That's good. Do they remember the beats you gave them as well? Yeah, they they remind me. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, what about what about you? Because I know you have many African Caribbean friends. I I remember there's n- there's not many people from the black community in Bedford, the African Caribbean community, who don't know you. Um, I know that when I went to John Bunyan. There were many people's parents or uncles who knew you. What was the situation of the African Caribbean youth who also came as migrants at your time? Did they experience racism as well? Did you, did you see that they also were having a hard time? Yes, they were, they were having the same problem, but obviously they were, they were having less than the Asians. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as you know, the... Uh, they, they they don't back away from uh, any fights. Mm. Okay, so, so they stand up for themselves. Yeah, they stand up for themselves, and that's a fantastic quality. Yes, that's a, that's a good quality. Did you have experience racism from blacks, black people? Uh, no, not really. No, no. I, di- I didn't face any uh, racism from any black people. No. Okay, that's good to know. Alhamdulillah. Um, <coughs> tell us a bit about living through Thatcher's time, Dad. The po- was it was it the poll tax riots? Yes. How how was it living through the eighties with Thatcher's period? I ask about this period because, even for indigenous white folk, this was a, a critical period in British history. Mm. Is it as class divided as they say it was during the eighties? Did it feel different? Yes, it did feel different. Obviously, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. I'm not for you telling all this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a very tough time, especially yeah. with the poll tax mm. that caused a lot of problem. I remember one uh, speech she gave that she'd rather have people uh, uh, being unemployed than uh, building industries. Okay. She'd rather have people unemployed than them building industries. Yeah. Yeah. She's a very tough lady, very tough. And it was a very tough time for, for especially mm. the, uh, the immigrants people. But wasn't she the one that also gave the opportunity for the same immigrant communities to then own their council houses and stuff like this? Lot yeah, obviously, because uh, many of the council houses needed a lot of work doing. Okay. So you, you don't want the council spending 15000 20000 to do the house of this. So she thought the best thing to do is just sell it and give them, make them become homeowner. Yeah. Okay. And then later when they became homeowner, yeah. then they had, you had the uh, recession, yeah. and then many of them lost their houses. So that's so what They were repossessed. Okay. Did we have any riots in Bedford? Poll tax riots, or was it mainly in the bigger cities? There was a, a small riots in Bedford, yes, there was, there was okay. small riots. Um, during, during Thatcher's period, uh, because we're now obviously well into early, mid, late 80s now, had things had, had the Asian community had become a bit more established. Some people started bringing <coughs> their wives over, they started establishing themselves here. Um, 
When did mum come to the UK? Uh, you, <coughs> excuse me. Your mum came to this country in August 1977. Okay. And she was how we old? Got, we got married in March 1977. And when she came over, oh, well, we came back together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I, I came and then she came. We came together. Okay, alhamdulillah. 1977, August. Mm. And obviously, we haven't got mum here for a podcast. I don't think we will. But how was her ex- first experience of the UK from from what you gathered? Was it s- s- a culture shock for mum as well, naturally? Well, by 1977, a lot of things had changed. There mm. were quite a few Asian families here. Mm. Uh, obviously, uh, she found it a bit difficult, but I, I made it uh, much more relaxed and comfortable for her. Alhamdulillah, does. You smashed it. But as if I rewind a little bit, yeah? To um, back to maybe school age a little bit, yeah. Okay. Where because you know, you know, we're quite we're only into sports because because, nice. because of you, Abba. And I know that's you know sports and achieving in sports featured a lot in your childhood. Um, what sport is it that you you liked the most and you you followed the most and pursued the most? Rugby. It was rugby. Yeah. And um, you know, just to hear that now, even. How much decades later, you don't really hear many Asian men, men, you know, playing rugby. It still isn't. It's still not. Of course, it isn't. Because so, so I, I remember any little interest that I took in rugby when I was at school. I was the only guy there. So, what was it like for you, someone who not only liked rugby but was successful in rugby during those years? When I imagine the most people around you were not Asian. Well, when I went to Westfield School, obviously uh, the main sports was rugby. Mm. Not football, rugby. Because Be- Bedford is a rugby town, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, rugby. And the sp- my sports teacher, Mr. Davis, yeah, is a great man. Uh, he saw something in me, and he encouraged me a lot. I remember from the first year to sixth form. I I don't remember buying a pair of boots, because he he provided me with all boots and everything. Because wow. he the incentive was there that you win each game, and this is what you get. Well, and he he did that off his own back. Yeah. And from the first year to sixth form, I was the head of sports captain. From when to when, Dad? From first year, yeah, in in Westfield School to the sixth form. You were head of sports. Yeah, that's years. And, yeah, wow. and I was as the captain of, of the rugby team as well. Wow, were people jealous of you for that? No, they loved me. Okay, they loved me because <laughs> I was great. winning. I remember, uh, you know, uh, our school, uh, our present mayor, Dave Hodgson. Yeah. His father was our head teacher. Okay. Oh, Mayor Dave Hodgson. Yeah, the mayor of Bedford, elected mayor of Bedford. Okay. His father was our head teacher, mm. yes. and uh, he said to me, "You know, forget about your academic things. Just win. Yeah. Bring me uh, trophies." <laughs> he used to come and watch every game as well. I remember he he came with his dad as well. Yeah. Through sports, I won a lot of things. So, so just I just want to pick on something here. It's a bit random. So you know. You had that instilled within you, victory, wins, competing, winning, competing. That is where we get our. I think so, hundred percent. Well, it's not from mum. It's from it's from you. Yeah. Our, our drive to compete, our drive to not lose, not lose. Um, naturally, having Alhamdulillah means certain leadership skills. But there's something you said about trophies, which reminds me of something which Mazafish to say to me. You guys are all dad's trophy boys. Yeah. 
<laughs> you guys all so here we have all these trophies and there's many many more that's just one shelf that there's many yeah, yeah there's loads there's I mean, many that have been thrown away to, to be honest there's so there's so many that are just yeah that have just been put so, away so so when so that was seen as somewhat success right victories sports mm. trophies yeah was there ever a time where you did start appreciating academia or maybe i should have given academia a bit more thought than sports well let me just tell you this. <clears throat> Obviously, coming to this country at the age of nine or something, and then trying to pick up English, uh, it's, it's difficult to move on with the academic side of it. But I did what, 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 what okay. I could do. Mm. I did yeah. my best. But so, sports was different. Okay. Right? Rugby, going back to uh, yeah. uh, how, how I go involved with this, like I said, Mr. Davis is the main person. Mm. He, he's the one who actually introduced me to the 1971. Uh, British Lions really? in Wales. Legends. Yeah. Uh, Barry John, J.P.R. Williams, who just recently passed away, Dr. Barry John, uh, J.P.R. Williams, Gerald Davis, all these. Because uh, my teacher is from Carmarthenshire. Mm. He took us there. We went to school uh, rugby tours there. Because over there, rugby is like a religion to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wales. Yeah. And these are the sort of people who encourage me. They sound like great people. Yeah. Yes, it sounds like a, because a they, proper I remember coach. Barry John came and watched me play in Cardiff Farm Spark one game mm. and he called me a black Barry John. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, you carry on, you, one day you become a professional uh, rugby player. And you're, and you're So how, how many uh, British Lions players would come and watch some, something like that? Or say that. Yeah. And your position was fly half. Yes. And that fly half generally is the one who's uh, petite than the rest of his, a bit smaller, smaller yeah. frame, quick runner. Yeah. Um, he's, he's 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 like for those who watch football, he's your number ten. Yeah. He's your he's your Marvel yeah. player. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. And and how did this position in rugby, the fly half position, come about? Was it just a natural because of your frame and your and you? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was natural. My speed, my uh, my movements, my side steps, mm. my thinking, mm. my kicking. Mm. So when me and Zoe went to Westfield, <clears throat> I never we never lost one game, not one rugby match we lost. Unbeaten. You got people like uh, the Bedford School. Yeah. Uh, but for modern school, these are private schools. You beat the private schools. Yeah, we hammered them. That's, that's, wow, that's wicked. Not one match we lost. And, and I'm on. I'm on, on uh, uh, I remember one match. Uh, your uh, my uncle. He was going back to Bang uh, Bang uh, Pakistan then. Sorry, not Bangladesh then. And uh, <clears throat> he said to me, "You have to come to the airport." I said, "I can't. I've got I got rugby match. Mm. I, can't, I don't want to miss the match." Mm. He said. You either come in or not. If not, if you don't come, then I'm not calling. You know, I'm not your uncle anymore. Mm. So he put me in such an awkward position. Yeah. So we took him to the airport. Yeah. Just left him there, and I came back half an hour before the match. You made it. Wow. Yes, I made it. That's that's, that's how I love love my rugby. Wow. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so just 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 staying on that topic. Do you remember this photo in Westfield? Yeah, yeah, of course I've seen them, yeah. So this photo here, these two photos were in Westfield Middle School. That's my dad. That's dad here. What are these photos, dad? What incident, what events is this? This, this was a seven-a-side seven school rugby tournament. Seven-a-side uh, rugby uh, tournament uh, held in, uh, in Westfield. Yeah. And we won the trophy. And the trophy has been presented by the Rugby Football Union president. What's his name? I forgot his name. I don't quite remember. That's fine. We'll find it. It's been a long time. And was this a memorable day for you? Yes. All the 
children from the school were there watching the match hundreds of them yeah. cheering yeah inshallah let's let's go over some more photos there's some photos. i know there's you have loads of photos but let's just go through some of them yeah i think you've seen mr davis here okay there he is oh him? yes uh, to the right that's it that's it okay yeah he used to play for bedford town he was a fly half yeah ah. oh, so he took a special liking to you yeah Okay. But you know when you were um playing rugby and uh, in those crowds um they had a nickname for you didn't they? Pitch name. Yeah? yeah. What was that? Jaru. Yeah. Is there a story behind that or how that name came about? Uh what it is on my passport? Yeah. Obviously you got Taru Mia. Yeah. And when the passport was made before I came to this country, you got the T there and just on the left there's a little line. supposed to be a little dot but it was a line so these people when i came to this country they took me as jaru okay yeah <laughs> and that carried on till i left school yes. and then i corrected it okay that's <laughs> these, these are things that you like would only happen some, then some some used to call me jeremiah okay <laughs> the blacks mostly used to call me jeremiah um what is the most memorable rugby match you've ever had my first match as a 16 year old playing for the under 19 East Midlands wow wow and i have to only assume that there were not other asians or muslims no not many not, not even one white from uh, under 16 age going to play for the under 19 East Midlands so you were the only person that went yeah. from under 16 to play for under 19 yeah and how was that experience wonderful did you get achievement for me mm-hmm. and did the under 19s appreciate your skill considering you were younger than them yeah well first they were shocked when they saw me they saw my size and everything yeah that's what you get taken out yeah well, then you take me out okay and um what's this picture is, is this this is rugby i'm assuming dad yes this is uh this is when we went to uh, uh wells this is this is the team that played in the cardiff sound park that barry john attended yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And how was um how you managed to do this whilst literally from my understanding and from what we've heard looking after yourself and others who you were living with because there was no wife and mom at this time this is all fending and looking after yourself there wasn't variation of curries and hot food waiting for you at home you had to do all that yourself right dad mm. yeah obviously uh i had to uh I had to do some some cooking sometimes mm. you know cooking uh, and uh, it's very difficult obviously uh, when there's no women around here yeah, they're all single men mm. they all help each other out you are a fantastic cook one thing I want to say is that going back to rugby I would have become a professional rugby player if it wasn't for supporting the family back home mm. Because my first priority, when I leave school, I have to get a job, earn some money, and look after my family who are back home. Our family at that time was Dada. Yeah. Non-biological Dada, yeah. who, we've, who we've already Brothers known and sisters. Uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying that it was the helping the family that prevented that. How did that make you feel? Do you feel resentful? No, no. I, I, I felt it was it was my responsibility to look after them. Okay, that but, was. But that I couldn't do the both at the same time. 
you couldn't do both no. at the same time. But you didn't feel resentful ever. Uh, later on, when I was more matured and all that, got married, I, I thought, you know, I missed out. Yes, I missed opportunities. I missed, missed something. Mm. Well, inshallah, the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will most definitely be greater for the one that you did choose. Absolutely. Yeah, inshallah. inshallah yeah. Let's look at some more photos. So rugby wasn't the only sport. That, we know that was your sport of passion, but you were very active in cricket and football as yes. well. And successful. Yes. And successful. Let's look at one very interesting photo. This is Bedford Youth Asian Football Club, 1983. Um, Bedford Met- Young Asian. Bedford Young Asian Football Club. This is um, a very famous photo. I noticed as well, there's some non-Asians. Yeah. In a Bedford Young Asian. Yeah. Which is and brilliant. there's some very familiar faces here. Tell us a bit about the formation of this football team. Well, this this is the team uh, I formed in 1982. Uh, before that, I used to play for uh, Westfield Youth Club. Okay, they were in the Saturday Premier League. I used to play for them, mm. and then on Sundays I used to play for a Italian club called Libertas. This is where. Fuchilo used to play. Okay. Fuchilo play later on went to play for Luton. Yeah. And for Italy. Mm. And I used to train some of these young boys on Sundays, and they said to you know uh, we would like to form a, a team. I said no, you guys are not ready yet. <laughs> you need to train for two years <laughs> because I know the Asians when it comes to morning matches nine ten o'clock in winter you never get up. <laughs> <laughs> so for two years, for two years I That's trained them. That's not change, does it? <laughs> yeah, two years I trained them, yeah. and after two years we decided to form this committee, uh, this 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 team. Yeah. We had some serious matches. Okay. We started with friendlies. We went into went into Sunday league. We done well as well. We had some uh, serious matches with from, uh, from teams from Peterborough, other Asian teams. Yeah, Peterborough, Derby, Leicester. Okay. Cambridge. Wow. So these were these were teams. This that is before we went into the league. Okay. And these were teams that most likely had other Asians in them as well, Muslims in them. Yes. Okay. I, I'll tell you one story. Uh, this was a, a bit of rivalry between uh, a team from uh, Brumham. Okay. They were, mm. they were a very good team. Yeah. Predominantly white. Yeah. And our manager, uh, Mr. Rahman from Magna, yeah. we mm. made him the manager. Mm. Uh, he had a lot of his customers who were from Brumham. <laughs> and he obviously he was uh, talking about his teams, good and that. They said, "Why don't we have a, a, a match?" Mm. So a match was arranged, and the understanding that if if we were if we lost, then Mr. Rahman would treat everybody in the Magna free, drinks everything free. Okay, and <laughs> if we won, they would treat us in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Rahman said, "What shall we do?" I said, yeah, "Go ahead, no problem." So it was a, I remember it was on a Sunday morning, ten o'clock kickoff. There's about two, three hundred people turned up to watch the match. Wow. And uh, first half, we were losing 3 nil. Rahman Sassam was hard. Yeah, yeah. Farooq, Azim's yeah. uncle, yeah. he gave away two penalties. Oh, dear. Albert, Jabin, he gave away another penalty. So we were 3 nil down. <laughs> Mr. Rahman had a cigar in his mouth, came down onto the pitch, <laughs> and he said, This guy's going to kill me tonight. They're going to finish all my restaurant off with drinks <laughs> and everything. Do something, do something. I said, okay, all right, let's let's try. So we made a few changes. Yeah. And uh, we won 4-3. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's legendary. 
That's so a legendary comeback. We went to the uh, pub. <laughs> they had sausages, bacon, sandwiches, <laughs> and uh, obviously lagers. And the some of the uh, players who were, who were not Muslims, they carried on with the food. And we just we just had some soft drinks, and that's it. Okay, that's funny. That's a, that's a hilarious. Show. Uh, and the, the restaurant survived, and, and there are some very. You know, we've got Uncle Jamil here, Uncle Fiaz. Did Uncle Fiaz used to play? Yes, yes. Okay, because we've got Al- Uncle Albert, Farouk, we've got Fana here. Was Fana a good player? Yeah, yeah, he's a good player. Was he big then as well? Yeah, Twala Lanky, a troublemaker. Okay. <laughs> Many punch-ups? Yes, yeah, quite a lot. When you have an Asian team playing against white team, you always, our main rivalry was with, against uh, Bedford Indians. Mm. That was our... Main match. That's the derby, yeah? yeah. Yeah, that was the derby. And these were Indians. Yes. Okay. And they were in, in a higher league than us. Okay. We used to meet up sometime in the uh, cup cup rounds. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't remember losing to them. Okay. Nil wow. nil or one one. Okay. Okay. And this is the team that apparently was at a better standard, yeah, yes, yes. competing better. Okay. Um, a few more thoughts. This looks like a team where there's you're the only person of color here. Yes, the football team. What team is it? What team was this? Uh, this this is uh, from. Uh, it's the same team. Yes, yes, yeah. same same team. Let's have a look. This was uh, while I was working at Charles Wells Brewery. Yeah. Uh, we formed this team. What was it called? Uh, Charles Wells Eleven. Okay. Yeah. What league did they play in? Uh, played on the Saturday League. Okay. And about were these staff as well? That work there as well. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So who? Apart from one or two. So who who did you mainly play in that league? If this was a Charles Wells team, which other teams did you play? Well, there were, there were different teams from villages and all that. Okay. Yeah. Cricket. Was that a sport you ever going to? Yes. And uh, what was the situation of cricket then in the 70s and 80s? Because let's be honest, Dad, South Asians, I mean, let's even put Bangladeshis to the side. We have to, <coughs> we have to be fair. Mm-hmm. And that if it comes to a pecking order of South Asians that have excelled in sports in the UK, mm. it's kind of a tug of war between Indies and Pakistan. But even then, it's not many. Yeah, it's not. How many are you going to mention? Monty Panasa, uh, Moin Ali, yeah, yeah. Mayor Khan. Yeah. How many? You're not going to mention 15, 20 that got to that level. Yeah. Yeah. So even then, Asians are still very much behind. And there's a huge, huge conversation about South Asians and Muslims' lack of representation in the FA and, 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 and mainstream football and yeah, that level, right? Yeah. Some of it's justified, some of it just could be that we may not be good enough. <coughs> yeah, it's, yeah? It's, it's a difficult thing to investigate, to be honest. Yeah. But cricket is something which Bai was very good at. Yeah. You invested a lot of time, a lot of your months, years, money. Uh, tell me a bit about your experience with cricket. How was it were you as passionate about cricket as you were with football and to be honest with you I love sports Mm. apart from hockey I hate hockey (laughs) I remember I played one or two games when I got hit on the ankle I said this is not a game for me (laughs) apart from that I loved athletics I was good at athletics 100 meters I used to 11 point something wow yes (laughs) it's not a joke my favorite was 100 meters 400 meters long jump javelin and for the relay. Fantastic. You have to understand what that means. I, I run at... 11 uh, point something. I run at uh, Bedford uh, Athletics Grounds. Yeah. Luton's all over the place. So your best timing for 100 meters was... 
Eleven point. Eleven point uh, uh, five something. Uh, okay. I, I got certificates upstairs. They give you certificate once when you do that. And cricket, obviously, I played the school teams. Yeah. We won some trophies, Bedford District trophies as well. Mm-hmm. I played one or two game for the county. That's it. But was it, but I'm a, I have to assume it wasn't a sport that you connected with, as you did. No, with but I still loved it. Okay. Still, still uh, obviously rugby. Rugby was my first first choice, but cricket. I loved. It. I like all sports. Mm. I like all sports. About what position? I was an, an all rounder. Okay. About what position did you play in football? Football. Yeah. Uh, I started off playing uh, at the right wing. Okay. And then finished off playing centre half. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk very briefly. About Bai's cricketing career, a lot of races in, in football. I bet there is a lot. Still is, <laughs> still is, still is. Yeah. The whole conversation is still happening. Terrible. Um, let's talk a bit about Bai's cricketing career. Yeah, um, as he's not here, and your other two sons are here. We saw how much you invested in Bai's cricketing career. Mm. Um, we, I now understand that uh, it was something which was. Very unique, uh, something you which you did try with us a bit later on. Um, how did that feel when Bai didn't make it to pro, when he very easily could have? Uh, I've always said that he's a bit laid back. Okay. If only he gave ten percent extra. I always said to him, "Listen, cricket is something you have to work for. Mm. There's a lot of racism in cricket." Mm-hmm. Mm. These are uh, when when you're in a school level. These are m- m- mostly run by the private schools, yeah. middle schools, yeah. well, upper middle class. Middle yeah, class. yeah. It's a proud uh, English yeah, school. It's, it's theirs. Yeah. To get in there, it's like you're starting off one nil down. Yeah. And you have to put extra fifteen twenty percent in mm. to achieve that. He's a very talented cricketer. Yeah. How he's good? Was, how how, he, how good was Tata? He was very good. He could have he could have become a, a professional cricketer. Easy. Everyone in Bedford testified. Right? Mm-hmm. Look. He's had trials with different counties, right? Not uh, you. Show me anybody in Bedford. Not not the man. Who's had trials with Leicester, Kent, Derbyshire, Worcester? Uh, um, yeah, right. He's had this. He was invited to the MCC trial in in London, where he met uh, one of the uh, ex England bowler Arnold. I'm he said to him, "What about Malcolm Marshall? Didn't buy me Malcolm Marshall." Yes, well? and uh, he said to him, "Listen." He's a good boy. He knows what he's doing. But I'll tell you one thing: there's a lot of cricket, uh, racism in cricket. He has to work hard to achieve. He can achieve it if he wants to. Wow. What about Bangladesh? There was a, an opportunity there, wasn't there? Well, I met up with Gordon Greenwich. The he was a coach for Bangladesh cricket team. I met him in Leicester, and uh, obviously I gave him the, his paperwork before he came. Mm. He saw everything. He said, "Look, bring him to Bangladesh." Yes. Leave him with me, and uh, we'll take it from there. Well, obviously, he, he he didn't feel comfortable because he had a bad experience when he went to Calcutta. Oh yes, on a tour. And that, that was the mayor's tour, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, he had a bad experience there because the, the boys from Bangladesh were <laughs> asking for his bats and gloves and oh, God, sunglasses, he, and he said, "No, these these guys, you know." And plus, majority of ninety nine percent of them are from Dhaka. Okay. Mm. So, so he, well, he it's going to be difficult for him to communicate with them. Okay. Were you disappointed when Bai's career didn't get to where it was or where you were hoping? Obviously, any father would be disappointed because I, I, I remember traveling with him to all these county matches 
you leave home at 8 9 o'clock in the morning don't go back till 9 10 o'clock in the evening and uh, he tried he tried and uh, i mean i enjoyed the, the time i took okay. i enjoyed it very much every reg- moment of it you don't regret any of it i regret it in the sense that he could have made it mm. if he tried a little bit harder were you quite strong on him no 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 i wasn't very strong i encouraged him okay i encouraged him but i i, I didn't sort of uh, pressurize uh, him pressurizing more thing like that he might feel that way but i i didn't i didn't <laughs> i didn't i was never anywhere close to as good as by was i uh no not quite as a but, but you, you you could have been a cricketer as well yeah. but he he was natural yeah how did it feel to hear that bear i remember one season he had with bedford <laughs> bedford town mm. uh, one season he had was one of the most brilliant season he had i remember but what but what was that match where by played in Anz Park and everyone lifted him up and he got all the he got some of the fame everyone in Queens Park was there i think it was a Colts game yes 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 and everyone, he was the captain in it he was captain because yeah. i remember everyone picked him up there was Zuski Tanvia everyone yeah, was there all, yeah was that when he switched from Bedford Town to Colts yes okay and they won that match yeah okay so just mm. back to just back to me and by again so so <laughs> obviously by by was a different level apart yeah when it came to in terms bowling. of his uh, cricketing talent Yeah, it was, uh, obviously. Uh, I've turned how good was I as a bowler. Give me your honest opinion. A bowler, 8. So Dada was at 9. Yeah. There's not much between you. I think that dad is definitely being touching kind. 10. Okay. He was quick. Yeah. He was quick. On his day, he could do things. Okay. But he never had he was always there. I remember one match they played Pakistan's under 16s. And a lot of these guys went to play for the national yeah, team. Yeah, these are uh, Javed Mianda's nephew, uh, uh, Majid Khan's uh, son. Mm. He played them and then, he, I think, I don't know, and he took one or two weeks and he played well. And then Judge Chap came and he goes, which part of Pakistan is he from? I said, mm. no, he's not from Pakistan, he's from Bangladesh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. He said, oh, he, he's good. Um, moving on now to a point that you made early in the podcast which was you had to choose supporting family over sports for many that is a very difficult decision mm-hmm. but it is just the natural decision to make um how stressful was that that you had to give up something that you literally loved it was you know you well you can see when you talk about it, like your like your face changes yeah. whenever you talk about sports your face changes so we know this is something that you're deeply passionate I was about. very passionate about Uh, I wanted to become a professional rugby player. I the, the system would have taken me because like I said that uh, sports teacher Mr. Davis you had the right he, people backing you. He was he was a part of that rugby uh, Bedford Town rugby club, mm. right? Playing there later on he became president as well. Uh, so it's there for me to move in. Mm. I had people there to help me out mm. to make it. But obviously uh, other other commitments like family commitments so how did you feel about dealing with those other commitments did it affect your temperament did it affect frustration it did it first it did affect me because uh, obviously uh, something you want to do in your life and it's been taken away for some other reason mm-hmm. it's in the back of your head but then obviously you when you think, sit down and think about it that is also important because mm-hmm. there are others who rely on you mm. just on just on the issue of all this is happening now whilst growing up and raising us uh, either over the bridge but then when did we move to queen's park 
Uh, we moved to Queens Park in 1982 or something. So most of our life has been in Queens Park. Yes. So this is all happening whilst growing up with various and many Pakistani families, um, a community which we feel we are very much part of and they are part of us. Um, what were some of the challenges growing up with Pakistanis? I, I say that to you because it was. I would say that if someone said you know the certain Social realities that everyone has For this, for our household It was to essentially grow up Not just alongside Pakistanis It was literally with them um, How did you find that experience? When I first came to this country uh, From my first school to Westfield School When I went there Obviously there weren't any Bangladeshi students in mm. the school Mostly some Indians and uh, some Pakistanis. For example, Jamil, brother Jamil, Jamil yeah. his family. We used to live at Honey Hill Road, and he used to live in Fort End Road, just on the corner here. Mm. And uh, that's where we met up. And that would you say, Uncle Jamil is one of your best mates? He's like a family. No, mate, he's like a family. Um, and you guys got on pretty much straight away. Yes, I mean. Uh, as, as you know, a lot of these Pakistani families in, in Bedford, especially in Queen's Park, uh, I grew up with them and I still have ties with them. So it's like a family. Mm. But it had its own challenges, right? And it does have its own challenges. There are, I mean, I'll be honest with you, and my friends will be seeing these brothers who have grown up, we will watch this, and people who have <laughs> had problems will, will, not, will probably watch this. And one of the things sometimes I experienced growing up, Dad, was... Sometimes dealing with Bengalis who think you're basically you're, you're trying to be like Pakistanis, yeah, or you guys are not enough Bangladeshi enough, or you guys think you're better than Bangladeshis, or you're or you're embarrassed, or, or you're embarrassed, and, you, and, you've, and you've chosen to well, be closer to Pakistanis, which is not the case at all. <laughs> and then there's obviously with Pakistanis who think, okay, these, these this this particular lot think they're quite big. Yeah. So these are something that things that we dealt with. He experienced it in school. We experienced it in school. By experience in school, did you ever experience it? Well, first of all, let me just make this clear, right? I don't think anybody in the Bangladesh community can come face to face and say to me, "Oh, you think you're Pakistani?" and you said that because I, I'm, I'm involved with the Bangladesh community as well. No, no, the Bangladesh guys doing voluntary works with them and all, all you know, setting down mosque and all these things. No, no, the mm. Bangladesh who did but say that to me when I was in school. They got dealt with, but the point is, that it was still something that we experienced. Yeah, and it's things that were said to us, not yeah. necessarily anyone else. Well, they, the, the reason they say that because the, the, they have attitude towards certain communities. You know, my attitude is that I get on with everybody. So what you took? Pakistani community is the first one I found when I came to this country, and they've been like family to me, and that's how we build up our relationships. Do you feel some? Some Bangladeshis have an inferiority complex when it comes to Pakistanis. Yes, they do, yes. And similarly, Pakistanis have a superiority yeah, complex. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, what would your advice be to both communities to overcome this and, and work together more as, 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 as one? Is to get rid of these complexes? Yeah, well, you know, uh, every community has some sort of uh, problem like that. Ste stereotypes, views. Stereotypes, but my, my uh, philosophy is that if I can't get on to somebody, I don't have to become an enemy. Mm. Mm. Just give a salam and move on. That's actually really quite simple but powerful, isn't it? 
if I don't if I, if, I, if I don't click with someone, I don't have to automatically mean that I don't like you or like become your enemy if we just go our separate ways. But the funny thing is that uh, whenever there's been any incidents faced by the Bangladeshi community or any individuals, first person they can run up to is me for help. That's known. That's that's standard. Mm. Yeah, we've seen that all so, our lives. Why you ho- want to hold anything against anybody? No, no you may have we, ex- we experienced a little bit of that in school, obviously. Because yeah. um, well, my my uncle, uh, they they faced the same problem because in, the, in going back in the late seventies and eighties, they, they used to say, "Oh, your your nephew, uh, he mostly hangs out with the Pakistanis and the West Indians and all that." Well, what's that going to do? Mm. So he used to complain to the others about that. Yeah, yeah. They used to say, "Well, what's your problem?" So what did they want you to chill out with Bangladeshis more? They wanted you to chill out with. Okay. <laughs> most most of them couldn't even speak English properly. Um, to once sports was done, once you had got married to mum and and work life and just life began, you became involved in the community affairs, yeah. right? When did that start? Because when you now mention. Tarumia in Bedford Yes There's this the sporting Tarumia And then there's The community activist um, Someone who's involved In politics When did that start? That started When I was 16 Okay Right yeah. And In those days Obviously because Especially the Bangladeshi community mm. uh, Mainly uneducated mm. Right They had problem Filling in forms Sending money to Pakistan, then Bangladesh, mm. you need to fill in forms. Uh, you had ta- uh, income tax problems, you know, various problems, interpreting, yeah. translating. Mm. So uh, my uncle got me involved in it. Did you get paid for it? No, it's voluntary. Okay. No. How long did you do that for? I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't stopped. Have, um, you, have, you ever, have you ever felt that there are people who you've helped um, that forget the help? Uh, some we don't appreciate There are some them. ungrateful ones yeah. mm. Obviously you know When they need They come to you When they don't mm. And they disappear mm. yeah. But majority of them Have been grateful And that's, uh, even to, the, to this day They appreciate my help And that I wouldn't even say That's restricted to Bangladesh But I, even till up until now You have many From the Pakistani community That's come to you For your help And, and, and assistance Yes I've helped Pakistani community Bangladeshi community Majority I've helped West Indians Italians as well and when did it progress into politics, Labour specifically? Uh, I'll say about 30 years ago. Okay. 30 years ago, uh, I, I used When Councillor Khan, Rahimullah, was around, yeah? Yeah, when he was around, before that. I knew, look, I've, by working uh, <coughs> on a voluntary basis for community, community, in the Mark community, I've got, I've got to know people from... Uh, the, the, the Labour councillors, the Conservative councillors, the mm. mayors, the MPs, mm. you know. But they, they never had any influence on me. The, the influence was from Councillor Khan. Because he used to nag on me. Whenever he see me, he used to say, sign that form, join Labour Party. Mm. But I, 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 then I obviously started supporting him, became member on and off. Mm. And that's how I got involved. Uh, may Allah have mercy on... Uh Baba Khan, mm-hmm. he was a fantastic man and did many great things for our area. I mean, mm-hmm. um, okay, so, so that's Labour. And we'll get to Labour in a bit because we still need to discuss last year's election results. Mm. But before we get to that, BNP politics, not the far right, yeah. Bangladeshi Nationalist Party. How did you get into that? And not Awami or Jamati or any of the other parties? How Name was, some other ones. 
There is only them two. Okay. This Jatiyo Party, this Islamic Andalon Party. It's good. I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, I got involved with BNP in 1977 when I was in Bangladesh. Uh, as a gentleman in my village, we were outside. I came from my house near to his, mm. and he was standing there, and he said, "I'm going down to the main road, which is the they call it Bisha Road." The yep. world road, yep. which leads to, from Sila to Dhaka. Mm. He said, Ziaur Rahman is coming. So I want to meet him. So I said, okay, let's go. We go together. Mm. And obviously Ziaur Rahman had been an army man. He came and this old man stopped. He stood in the middle of the road and stopped and Ziaur Rahman's jeep stopped. He came by, shook hand and gave salam. I shook hand with him as well. So you met Ziaur Rahman? Yeah, just shook hand with him. And he said, uh, why did you stop me? He said, this road needs doing, this, that, this, doing, this, this, doing, this, that, this. He said, Baba, don't worry. We'll sort everything out. Okay. Inshallah. Give me time. And You witnessed that conversation? Yes. And when I saw him and, I, and saw how he spoke to that man and how he stopped and how he behaved and everything, I thought, this is a, this is, it's a nice person. Because that man could have easily got slapped and moved out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. He could have been arrested. But he stopped. The yeah, he stopped. Okay. So he, he had time for these people. So I thought this man has time for the, the, the people, people of Bangladesh for mm. and for Bangladesh itself. Mm. Mm. Were you? <coughs> why were you never drawn towards Awami League? Because you have you have family members who are part of Awami League. Like I said in 1977, that's my first incident when I when I met him, and then obviously the time passed too, and I never joined. I never I never became a member of BNP mm. or any any Bangladesh political party. I only got involved in in. Uh, Late nineties, okay. Through some friends, it became a social gathering. Okay, mm-hmm. like it, like it is with like like it is Awami yeah. BNP PPP. Yeah, yeah. We just thing. became a social gathering. Uh, people from my area back home, uh, you know, we spending time, and then politics came in. Mm. Obviously, they were, they were more deeply involved in it than myself because they're from grassroots. Yeah, okay. You know, it's in their blood. Mm. Whereas me, it's on and off. How did it go from that then being mentioned? By Khalid Aziz's son in his book Because that, that's a real quick <laughs> Well Khalid Aziz's son Is married from Silet Okay Dokkin Shurma Where we are yeah. from Yeah Dokkin Shurma South Shurma Yeah Where he's from He's married to the admiral's A late admiral's daughter And uh, I remember one Eid celebration With the people who were meeting him mm. He's You know Eid, Eid greetings mm. And uh I came and he met and he said uh, and they shook hand and everything and he, he called me uh, like a senior person with high respect mm. he said uh, where are you from I said uh, I'm your brother-in-law <laughs> he said pardon I said I'm your brother-in-law you're married to our sister from Silit oh. and I said where are you married and from my house only three miles and we are distant relatives, which is true. Because the rear, rear admiral, late rear admiral, Mahmoud Ali Khan, his auntie was married to one of my great granddad. Oh, so there is, there is a family link. Yeah, of course yeah. there is a family link. Okay. And, so and for those who don't know, Khaled Azir is a former prime minister of Bangladesh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a, I mean, as you were involved in both. Bangladesh Nationalist Party politics and Labour politics, your sons were taking a different route when it came to politics. 
it was one which was heavily influenced by what they understood to be Islamic politics, very critical of secular nation states and uh, secular democracies. And I recall there were times where you would be helping with the Labour campaign and we'd be out there telling people or advising them not to engage in the democratic process because we believed it to be haram, not kufr, just to clarify, haram. Um, and there were times where you would be involved in BMP politics and we'd be involved in criticizing both Hasina and Khalidah. What were your f- I know that, alhamdulillah, you never prevented us from mm. the dawah, from activism. You supported us. But how was that? Because that's two spectrums. Secular politics here, yeah? and then your sons were doing what they understood to be Islamic politics, mm. and they were at loggerheads. Mm. If we were doing that in those countries, we'd be in prison. How did you, that make you feel? I had no issue with that. I felt comfortable because they were doing what they thought was right, and I was doing what, what, what I thought was right because we're in two different generations. You're my children, mm. I'm your father. I have the older generation's mentality mm. and you have the, the recent mm. plus Islamic knowledge mm. of, of politics. Did you agree with some of the things that we were calling for and, and, and what we were advocating? Yes. Did you feel that we were harsh to rulers, Muslim rulers and governments, that we were too, had too many high expectations from them? Not really. Okay. No. I attended a lot of the, the, the you meetings did. as well. You did. You did. You supported us. Uh, I you never stopped you from uh, going. Alhamdulillah. I was there because I want to observe what's going on. Mm. What's I'm been said. Abba actively supported us. There was an attitude and an understanding that the type of politics that we were calling to is going to get you in trouble, mm. and you're going to draw attention to our community in a way that you don't need to. You make probably making more noise than you need to. Do you want to just clarify what that politics was in the camera? Well, yeah. Well, as as, as Muslims, um, even our political stance and our values came from the Deen, so we were very critical and would speak openly about the injustices of Muslims around the world and the responsibility that rulers had over that being oppressive and tyrannical. So we advocated for Islamic political system to replace those systems, and it's a position I still stand by. And calling for the unification of the Ummah Absolutely And the liberation of our lands yeah. uh, Through legal means yeah, These are traditional deep-rooted ideas within no, our religion Normative Islamic ideas Last year um, A huge event took place For yourself For the family For the community And that was when you stood As an independent councillor In the local Queen's Park ward elections um, I would say Besides yourself I was the most invested in your campaign. Um, not to say that they weren't, they were, all your other sons were, but I felt that it was something, because in our mind, our dad could only win. He cannot lose. Mm. We don't know how dad loses. We only have known dad to win. And the poetic irony of it was that you lost by one vote. And you refused a third recount when you had the opportunity because it went from three or five. What was the difference when you lost against? Was it? It was first. It was three or five votes, wasn't it? Five. Then they recounted it. It was one, and you had the opportunity for another recount, but you said you're not doing that. Before we get to that day, I know how I felt that day. 
Um, but let's let's. How did you end up standing for without going into too much details, Dad? But the split away from Labour, and literally a new paradigm shift in Queens Park. That Mr. Mir is standing for independent council with a significant backing from the Pakistani community, right? Um, how did that happen? Well, first of all, I never had an intention of uh, standing for election. If I, if I did, I could have done that 20, 25 years ago. I would have become a councillor. Mm. I never wanted that. Because I know when you become a councillor in the Asian area, mm-hmm. you're, you could never please them. Mm-hmm. They don't know the difference between an MP, a councillor, and a voluntary worker. They think they, <laughs> it's all in one. So that was my intention. I, I had the opportunity many times, but I never went for that. The, the reason I stood was, our present MP, Yassin, I helped him in his elections... 110%. Something he clearly and consistently yeah. acknowledges, yeah. And was the one incident which hurt me was a few days after election, uh, we were around his house and we were chatting away. And then this young lad from our community, his name is Ali Asker, he said, look, now you've become MP, your post is vacant. We're talking 2017 here, wasn't it? The snap yeah. election. Yes. Yeah. So his councillor post is vacant. Yeah. So he said, your, your councillor post is going to be vacant. So we've always promised that the next person nominated would be from uh, the Bangladeshi community in Queen's Park. And I think Vaisab, he pointed at me. I think Vaisab, he's, he's the most ideal candidate, mm-hmm. more popular one. He, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know what happened to him. He just snapped. Have you seen him snap like this before? Uh, yeah, I've seen him snap a couple of times. He snapped. And he raised his hand, he goes, oh, no, 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 no. The Pakistanis in Queen's Park will not vote for a Bengali. And how mistaken he was. Mm. Right? <laughs> and again, I said to him, can you repeat that? Mm. It came as a shock. Mm. And uh, he said, I believe the, the Pakistanis will not vote for a Bengali here. I said, that's racism. You shouldn't say that. That's wrong. You just become an MP five days ago and you said that. I said, remember that. And I had a go at the young lad. I felt like hitting him. So when we left his house, I had a go. And I said, why did you bring that for? He said, I've done nothing wrong. I said, no. You should, you should. We don't have to ask him for anything. Mm. And Mohammed Yassim was obviously very wrong and very mistaken because you broke records. Um, we've had Parvez Akhtar stand here, we had Bilal Shah stand here. They are from the Pakistani community, they've got tribal backing, they were with the Conservative Party, and no one proportionately came anywhere near the numbers you got. And you ran, I remember you stressed that we ran a very clean campaign. Um, To the extent where, I mean, it's happened now, I have to clarify, he was independent as well. He was an independent candidate, and you would have been the first independent candidate in the Queen's Park ward since, I don't know, I don't even know how long ago it was. It's about 78 years. Yeah, And I even spoke to the members of press. They're like, this has never happened in any Bedford ward, as far as we can recollect, where an independent candidate comes for the first time 
and loses by a single vote and refuses the third recount. Why did you refuse that third recount? When it could have come back and it could have been a draw or you would have won. Because it was going that way. It, was going, it went from three or five it, to one. Well, you were there as... I was there, Dad. You were there, you, you, you saw the situation. Uh, obviously, these people who are, who are, who are the workers, and the, the, uh, the, the counters, counting, they've been there since six o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. Do you think they would have waited for us though, Dad? Right? They've been there for that long. And it's coming up to a half eleven, twelve o'clock. Yeah. Right? Yeah. First count, second count, then they were just, just fed up. Right? And I felt it's, it's not right to put them through that procedure again. But about the truth. So you, what you're saying about is because you didn't want to put them through more grief again, of the physical counting process. Let me just say it was stressful, bro. It was it was a stressful process. It was stressful. The anxiety was stressful. The anticipation was stressful. But I couldn't care less about the counters. For sure. My mindset was so literally your job. Yeah. My my mindset was that if tables were turned, and it was and his sons, they would never have let that pass. I don't think. I could be wrong, brothers. If you're watching this, I could be wrong. But I don't think. That they would have allowed for it to go from <coughs> three to one and then refused a third recount. Yeah, neither do I. Well, you're right, hundred percent right. Because even after uh, conceding, yeah, I went over to him. You remember? Yeah. I went over to him and I congratulated him, but he never bothered to pick up the phone and say to me, oh, "Commiseration, you know, we had a good contest or anything like that." That's no? fine. No? no, but that but that's naturally because <laughs> must be thinking he he was surprised by his results as well. Um, and I think you, we we bought Queen's Park to life. Never, because that was the first campaign, am I correct, Dad, where Labour didn't have an office, but you, we had an office. Yes. Think about that. Mm. Labour had always had a campaign base. That's right. Whether it be the, the Disney World Chippy or somewhere. Or here on Fordham Road, yeah. it, But they never had one. And it was so close and so tight. But I personally think you ran too much of a clean campaign, Dad. When you know your people, you know who the guy, people you were up against were resorting to many See, questionable stuff. Yeah, I understand. And I know you're not a sore loser. I know you're a principal man. But I'm just saying that the campaign you ran was too clean for the people that you're running up against. I understand. But when, you, when you've been clean all your life, it's very, very difficult to become dirty. Mm. You know? Okay. This is something you, it's a standard you set. Because I saw with my own I eyes. I understand. And... Mm. Uh, there are people in the community uh, didn't didn't take it seriously from from our own from our own team. Yeah. Okay. They didn't take it seriously. They could have come out and uh, supported a bit more and uh, cast their votes as well. They mm. thought independent is not is not going to make it. Mm. Well, yeah, we, we we know that there, there was some disappointing. But even though even though uh, I've lost the election by one vote, I won the hearts of the people of Queens Park. That's very important. Yeah, it's no question of it because I remember after the election, I had about 40, 50 postcards come through, mm. and these are mainly white people. They're saying, you know, what you've done is unbelievable. Please don't give up. You have to stand next time. Will you be standing next time? Depends on my health. May Allah give you. May Allah give you the, most, the best health possible. Not because of the case, but just because you have. I did say that that was that, that election was my first and last, right? Mm. But since then things have changed, mm. and the main thing is that I want to bring change in Queens Park. This this 
this mentality of brotherism and tribalism shouldn't be here well this is this is something going back in the 60s and 70s these are young people who are born in this country they're educated they should be leading us from front and to break that barrier somebody has to sacrifice themselves and i and i'm going to do that myself i don't think I'll, i don't think i mean during your campaign you brought together three communities you brought together the, obviously the bangladeshi community you brought together the two elements of the pakistani community and that's those who are pakistani from the gujarat jhelum and then obviously you had a lot of support from the the jhat brothery right and of course you had your ben support as well but the bens had their people uh, but but that those were the three communities you brought together do you are you confident that you can whoever if whoever is yourself or someone that you nurture that the same energy will be there will 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 be able to bring these different communities together i think so because you're the glue i i think so it will because now see the misconception the the pakistani community had mainly was that the labor has so they start off with 1000 bank folks hmm. there are there's 1000 already there so if you want to fight labor you, they got 1000 you start off with 1 2 3 hmm. and no you're never going to win hmm. now that calculation is wrong labor has never had 1000 bank votes how many bank votes do they have right, listen the members they got about need about 200 members so if you add another to us about 400 hmm. 350 400 core labor supporters members hmm. right they don't have a thousand because that barrier has been broken people now realize that an independent person mm. has lost by one vote so where's the labor bank votes gone there is no bank votes the bank votes are us how the people who support them because not just mohammed yasin abis emir and the labor party which yes. are no, which are no longer a member of no because uh, or support uh, helping no, the party no, no. uh the, the yasin i support yasin because councilor khan Uh, remember when we had the takeaway in Forden Road? Yep. He came around one night and with a form, and he said, "Can you sign that?" Yasin was with you. I didn't know who Yasin was. This was about ten and a half ten. I said, "Listen, it's a bit late in the evening. We're just closing up now. I'll come and see in the morning." Mm. The whole reason was to I wanted to know. Didn't, we didn't want to discuss it in front of him who this person was. Mm. So I thought I'll speak to him. So I, I came to his house in the morning and I said, "Who's this?" He said, "This Yasin." I said, who, "Who's Yasin?" Who's? And then he said, "So and so, son-in-law. He's a good lad." I, want you, I said, "No, I'm not signing this." Uh, is nomination form because i don't know i'll do it for you but not for anybody else he said then at least support him i said okay i'll do what i can mm. and but do you feel those years those that time all them late meetings and strategizing because you you were you were a lead if not the key strategist so i remember when which elections was it when uh, yasin and council masood won there was a massive uh, gathering in fordern road they didn't get lifted up on the shoulders you got lifted up on the shoulders yeah do you remember that day they didn't lift you seen in council can they lifted you up because you played a key role in in that it was happened they're doing fireworks they're doing giving out hearts and stuff mm. does that all feel wasted now well it's like you know you have a bank account you got 10000 pound in there yeah right and uh, i spent 9000 on him yeah in return i got nothing okay but i i don't regret it because the people who are with us like brother jamil and others there are many i i i, I can name uh, we're all together there's a group of 25 people yeah. and we 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 all supported him mm. that's where his success came okay. even when he stood for uh, uh the, the snap elections snap election 2017 uh 
I said to him, you know, I go, you got, you got nothing to lose. You know, go for it. Mm. I think you got a good chance. You know, I'll give you all the support I can. And he did? I did it from, from the bottom of my heart. I don't know where, where he got. So how are things with you in, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on uh, Muhammad Yassin, but how are relations with you both? At the moment, we still give salam, give salam dua. Hi, Simple. hello. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. About bringing the podcast to a close, um, we saved a very important topic to the end, um, and that was parenting. Um, you know, growing up, we were always aware of our dad's presence, yeah, or, or aware when he wasn't around, um, and. You were a disciplined man You were a disciplined father um, You raised us with uh, Strict morals and values um, Especially In terms of behaviour How we speak um, Was that something you were aware of? That this is uh, I want Something I want to instil it, the in, the ma- in, the, in the manner and fashion that you did well, I always feel That one has to walk the street with his head up. Yeah. Shouldn't be looking, turning around, look on the side, see what's happening. Because walking with your head up is very important. Mm-hmm. As, as for bringing up people with discipline, cause this is something that I, I try to pass it on to you. Mm-hmm. Is, I, I was disciplined by, by my parents. You know, to respect people, do the right thing, you know. If you could rewind. And lead from the front, because as you know, back home in, in our family, we have people who uh, represent yep. public, yep. public servants. Yep. It's going back from my gran- great-granddad to my father, to my granddad, these people who are uncle, community leaders, representatives. So this is something politics. in your genes; it just passes on. Like I feel, okay, you know. So this is what I wanted from my children as well. Mm. Uh, you Alhamdulillah, you, you feel like that's delivered? Yeah, it's been delivered. Yes, Alhamdulillah, I'm very proud of. Uh, obviously, all three is not going to be the same, mm. but uh, Iqbal is doing his bit. Huh? He's he's he has actually made a very big difference in our family. Mm. That goes without say. You know. He's, he's, he's like a, a, a what, what do you call Safety. a diamond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but by bought Dean to our family. He's bought Dean into a house. He's he's done a lot of things, which is uh, uh, I pray to Allah. And obviously mm-hmm. you too, you, you're doing well as well. Before before we get to the bit where we're doing, I'm doing very well. Okay, be sharp, Before we get to that bit, um, are there any aspects of parenting which you think back at and think? Maybe I could have done this differently. Maybe I was too harsh or strict there, or maybe I wasn't strict or maybe enough. Too lenient. Too lenient. Do you, do you ever think back at these things? Yeah. No. What is, no, I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think I was too lenient. Uh, I did what I need to do. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Right. Alhamdulillah. Uh, and uh, if you lot feel that you know I was too lenient or too harsh on you, that's that's, that's your fault. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> I I did what I need to do. No, you think you're right? perfect. I need to do because I, <laughs> I was, I was. There's one thing I can. I'll tell you that I'm very overprotective. Mm. Yeah. Very overprotective. Even though you know, yeah. you're married and all that. Even now, if you go somewhere and I don't hear about you three, four hours, yeah, I'm on the phone. Yeah. 
Forget, I, I, and I, I can't help it. Your mom tells me all the time, look, they're grown up, they're children, they've got children. Why are you doing that? I said, look, I can't, it's in my system, I can't do it. Mm. I have to know how safe they are, where they are. Alhamdulillah. We, Alhamdulillah. We, uh, I can't help it. We want, we want those phone calls. Right? Mm. And I told her, I said, even when they become, uh, if I'm around uh, in my 80s and they're, they're in the 60s or 50s, I still would do the same. From my bed. <laughs> um, I gave you a lot of trouble growing up. Um, um, I was very troublesome in school. Um, I was permanently expelled in year 10. You had to come into school every other time. I think you even gave me a clip around the ear in front of Mr. Beryl. If that's what you call a clip. <laughs> because I didn't apologize to him properly. Do you remember that one? Yes. Um, you always said to me, your issue isn't that you don't study hard. You, you seem to value education and you're good at it. But you misbehave too much in school. And uh, I definitely gave you a hard time growing up. Um, was it difficult with me? Uh, no. Difficult, difficult. But it was difficult. Worrying? Sorry? Worrying? Uh, it was worrying when, 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 as he was getting older. Uh, I mean, no, as he was getting into his fif- uh, six, 15 and 16, and things like that. It was worrying because what, what, his main, what I found was the main problem was that uh, there, was, there, was, there was a group of boys who were looking up to him all the time. Mm. They looked at him as a leader. Mm-hmm. Any incident, he's there. You, you just get stuck in without knowing what's happened here. You know, obviously, you need to ask what happened and then get involved. No, let's have a punch up, then we'll find out what happened. Academically, he's good. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. You know, there, you've got people who are bookworms, they'll read the book all day, all day and you ask them in the morning something, they don't know what, what, they, what they're saying. Right? That's, that's what's causing the problem. But I realized that's me. I was like that. He's got something, maybe a bit more than I have. Yeah. Obviously, that, because of the time. But that was me. I had issues in school. I waited outside. When they came one on one, we had a scrap. Mm. Led from the front. Yeah. Zui gave you the least. Problem. As for the school, obviously, I think we did the right thing, moving from one school to another. Mm. I did well. And uh, the teacher said, "I remember the teacher said, well, if you do well, I'll be very happy. You done well, got good results." Mrs. Green. Yeah. But I still caused problems there as well, didn't I? The problems didn't end. Even after probably you still had to come yeah, to Bunyan. It was less than uh, what it was in uh, okay. Bidnam. In, in Bidnam. Zui caused you very little problems, didn't he? No, Joel, uh, he's never given a lot of problems because Joel has always been uh, sort of... Alhamdulillah. But Joel, Joel, you put Joel up to a lot of problems as well by making him stand up. But that's good, he values that now. Yeah, he understands that. Yeah, but, but, but you know, you have to give him the space to, to get himself ready. Okay. But you, 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 it's like a boxer, he's not ready for the big fight, but you got him trained within a day. Let's get in. There you go, prize fight. <laughs> you got me ready for a prize fight. Um, but as, a, as an older brother, you protect him, that's very important. 100%. Same as, uh, by protecting me. Same as Iqbal protected you a lot. But the truth is, and we're not hurt by this, Bai is your favorite son, isn't it? No. He is. No, all three of you are my, my favorite. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I don't favor a certain child. Okay, but that is. But the worrying one is you. Okay, because I have a lot of worrying for you. Why is that? As you were growing up, not now. Okay, okay. As you were growing up, because of the things that happened, and. Okay. 
Because your mom used to say, he's doing exactly what you used to do. Who's the most similar to you when you look, when you look at your sons? Most similar. Because you all three of them different... Have different qualities of yeah, you. Yeah, different qualities. What quality does Bai have of you, do you think? Uh, diplomacy. What quality do, you, do I have of yours? Uh, standing up. What quality does Zui have of yours? Patient. MashaAllah. Well, Fantastic. He just goes to show the dad's profile. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. About bringing the podcast to a close um, and bring it to an end, I want to tell you and we both want to say we love you. Thank you very much. I love you a lot as well. Yeah. Um, you know, um, ever since... Okay. Ever since... I'm, I'm going to come and have my moment as well. Yeah. Uh, ever since we started uh, this Blood Brothers podcast, very quickly, I think maybe after episode two or three, we were like, I can't wait to have Dad on the podcast. Because we knew that no matter what guests we bring in, there's, gonna, there's not going to be any content Quite like podcast with with Abba, not not just like a, a, a host speaking to their father, but I remember after two or three podcasts, we knew that you were going to be. We on. knew that you know this podcast is going to be you know the most special, and whilst it's episode fifty, we can have as many episodes as we want, and um, nothing will match. This. You know nothing will match this. So you know Abba, from the bottom of my heart, you know um, there is no man that I'd want to be like except for you. Um, and uh, I love you more than anything And um, I wish That Allah can Allow me and all of us To be able to demonstrate that And show that um, As much as possible Amen. Amen. So uh, Amen. I'm going to come and Embrace as Is well Finish now? No, no, not finish yet we have to get this on camera because You say that I come and hug you Thank you for everything Um May Allah give you a long life. Amen. Amen. And Jannatul Fardas in the hereafter. Amen. Amen. Abba, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. I Thank hope you, you enjoyed it. Um, if we said anything, uh, forgive us. And um, we look forward to, inshallah, having you on again. Maybe for episode 100. Inshallah. Inshallah. Are you going to start crying? Nah. You can if you want to. No, I'm okay. Brothers and sisters, I hope you enjoyed our milestone. Uh, 50th episode podcast with our father um, Subscribe to the YouTube channel Five Pillars YouTube channel um, You can find us on Instagram uh, Twitter And all the usual platforms um, Just a quick note um, The 50th episode also marks The official uh, departure of Between Five Pillars And Blood Brothers Away from the Mad Mumluks I want to just give a quick message to the brothers at the Mad Mamluks, especially Imran Munir, a.k.a. Sim, who without him, this podcast wouldn't have happened. And we wish all the brothers at the Mad Mamluks the best in this life and the next. Amin. Amin. And they have played a pivotal and a critical role. He was down. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember when he came down? It was during the election time. Yes. He was in the office. Yes, he was in the office. So, Sim, you'll remember this. And um, we are. will be forever be... Uh, Grateful to you, my brother, and indebted to you because without you, this podcast wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. But it's now time for Blood Brothers to go on to uh, bigger and better things in 2021, inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, Zui, any, any closing remarks, my bro? Um, I, I guess uh, my closing remark would be you know, for those of you who have viewed this, uh, this, this episode specifically, you know, you've um, 
been privileged to have um, you know witnessed and been a part of a, a very special conversation and a, a very special podcast. So you know I am happy for you as much as I'm happy for myself and for my brother and for my uh, for my dad. And um, you know I hope you guys enjoy it. It's um, I certainly have. And um, but yeah, you know, Dilly hasn't. The, the the emotional side and the crying side really that's not a quality from my dad. I just wanted to add that. But it's still a really where, where do I get that from then, Dad? Mum's side. Uh, most well, yeah, most probably yes, <laughs> most probably. I'm I'm a, I'm a very emotional person. As no, well. of course you are, but sometimes I'm not sure, but I'm very emotional as well. But yeah. I I hold back, mm-hmm. trying to hold it back. Yeah, Aki don't cry. Yeah, no, I do, I do from time to time. Aki don't cry, and um, I don't cry either. Just clarify. If that if well. you see Dilly crying, yeah, you know, know there's an event. But there's two. There's two. Two. Uh, two of my children. One is Dilwa mm. and was in Nizma. Mm. She she comes into tears very quickly as well. Ah. Ends very quickly as well. Like tears yeah. do. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Okay, brothers and sisters, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please, please remember to subscribe to the Five Players YouTube channel. Follow us on all the f- social media platforms. Uh, we will be having our very own uh, Blood Brothers or Five Pillars podcast platform starting from twenty twenty one. But you can catch this podcast on the Mad Mumlux channel. And until next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Flood Brothers Podcast. Five Pillars of Mad Mamluks Productions.